Is anybody a doctor in here? No? Good, then you won't be offended, I hope. I'm just kidding. I, I, do, uh, I do like doctors. I'm glad that we have doctors. They're a very necessary thing. I think most of us don't always like to go to the doctor, though, because uh, often when we're going to the doctor, that means that there's something going on that we have to go talk to the doctor for, and they got to prod you and poke you and do all those different kind of things. And, you know, we all understand that uh, it's good from time to time to go to the doctor and, and have them prod us and poke us and look at different things and make sure we're healthy. And, and uh, like I said, I'm, I'm thankful for, for modern technology, of course, but um, doctors sometimes get a bad rap. But modern technology and modern medicine is great. I mean, we've got x-ray machines. We've got dialysis machines. Uh, we've got CAT scan machines. I don't have a cat, but uh, if I did, I would take it for one of those machines. <laughs> Comedy filler so I could find my remote. <clears throat> There's transplants. There's all kinds of things that we can do with modern technology today. That's amazing. In 1908, Charles Guthrie tried to transplant the head of a donor dog onto the neck of a recipient dog. It did not work. Um, in 1950, Vladimir Demikov developed several significant techniques concerning transplant of vital organs. Praise God that he did. You know, we are now living in a time where that is uh, much more commonplace. Everything from, you know, limbs to uh, hearts, everything in between. Uh, still haven't got this right, though. In uh, 1970, Robert White performed the first self... Uh, now, some of these words I'm just going to butcher. I'm sorry, you'll have to look them up. Uh, Robert White performed the first cephalic exchange transplant in, in a monkey by transplanting the head of a reuse monkey on the body of another headless one. The monkey survived for eight days with restoration of basic sensations such as smell, taste, hearing, and motor function in the face of the transplanted head, which I guess is better than no motor function in the face of the transplanted head, uh, but still not in the rest of the body. Um, and this has been going on for uh, a while. The, the latest thing that has happened is in 2017. And again, I'm going to butcher this because I, uh, I'm not a doctor. Uh, but in 2017, uh, there was performed a successful cephalosmatic anastomosis. And yes, I practiced this before today. Uh, using a human cadaver. Now, let me explain to you what that means. Somebody took the head of a deceased person and put it on the body of another deceased person. And that was a successful surgery. Uh, now, here's the deal. We've come a long way in modern technology, have we not? Uh, but there are some things that modern technology cannot do. Modern technology cannot bring reanimation. It cannot bring restoration in that terms. It cannot bring resurrection. And if you were looking at Facebook this week, uh, you saw my text out there, and I hope that you're here today because you'd like to see a resurrection. And I believe that we can. And I believe that you will, by the power of God, see that as we look at the text today in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. That's where we're going to be this morning. And so what Paul does here is he's just told us in chapter 1 all the spiritual possessions we have in Christ and today he's going to tell us about our spiritual position, which, by the way, 
we can only obtain through this kind of a resurrection. And so before we get into that, let's, let's pray. Our dearest Lord Jesus in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. God, it is wonderful that you have created humans in your image, and so because of that, we are creative and we are able to uh, do all kinds of things and invent all kinds of things. And you have told us that we are supposed to uh, put this entire world under subjection, ruling over it as your image bearers. And as we seek to do that, even in our fallenness, we have made such strides in things like medical technology. And yet, there are things that still escape us. God, we pray that in this text this morning that your work would be done, that your grace would be made known, uh, that we would have uh, another among the myriad of reasons to rejoice in you today. Uh, I pray that this word would have its impact not only in the lives of these hearers, but in the lives of uh, their family and their friends around them as they seek to bring this good news to them that there is resurrection. Uh, God, we praise you and thank you for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So like I talked about, and I want to run through this with you, if you have been, and, and I would encourage you to do this, if you have your own Bible, uh, I would encourage you to, to write in it, to highlight it, to underline parts of it. And so I've got my own, own Bible, and I was doing that, and so I want to, as we go through here, I'm going to do my best uh, to not get in the way of this glorious text that we have. I, I think chapter 2, especially this first section here, should be a section that should be on your short list of scriptures to go back to time and time again uh, to remind yourself of your position in Christ. And, and, and I actually think that if we spend more time here uh, than just today, meditating in this, memorizing this, that we will experience the kind of life that Christ has for us because of scriptures like this in Ephesians. And so uh, as we jump in here, uh, for this first section, I, I want to take you through this and we'll kind of underline and, and look at this together. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses, in the trespasses and sins. And just pausing there for just a minute as I pull up my notes here. Look back, if you have a copy of God's Word, you have the ability to do this, to look back in chapter 1 as he starts out grace and peace from God to you. You know, blessed in Christ with all these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. He talks about uh, predestination of adoption of sons, right? Um, in him we have this redemption through his blood. And, and he talks about in that section, chapter 1, verse 7, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And this is what he's talking about here in our scripture for today. And so our condition is much worse than maybe you originally realize. For the good news to be good news, we have to understand the depth of the bad news, right? For the, for the remedy, for us to want to take the remedy, we have to understand the disease. And this is what Paul's doing here. He says, listen, he says, we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins. That's what once in him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses. We were dead in our trespasses. What can a dead person do? I don't know when the last time you went to a funeral was, um, but I can tell you, uh, I'm sure that you didn't crawl in the casket with the corpse and snuggle up next to it. And if you are a Hollywood fan, uh, I'm sure you've seen a movie or at least seen a commercial of movies of things like TV shows with Walking Dead or 
World War Z or whatever, these different things, where there's some kind of infection or some kind of a disease which ends up causing people to be zombies. In fact, as I was preparing for this this week, I, I was listening to a, a podcast and they give me these interesting things. And there's actually a, a, a fungus uh, in the Amazon that its spores, its mushroom, its spores, it will actually fall onto ants and then the spores will take over the ants' brains and cause them to be zombies and cause these ants by these spores to then climb up the trees, burrow themselves into, these, into the trees where they will then grow new, uh, new fungus from this thing. It's, it, it's completely amazing. But I digress with science. Well, what does a dead person do? The answer is nothing except for putrefy. And I don't mean to be gross this morning, but if you've ever seen any of those shows like Walking Dead, just think of how they look. If you're weak in the stomach, maybe go to a happy place for a minute. But in some of these shows, they will see these people who are cut in half and who are crawling with their, their arms with the back part of them just dragging on the ground. Uh, after a while, the human flesh begins to deteriorate and begins to actually fall off of the outer frame. And so they're left with gaping holes and exposed bone or muscle tissue. Uh, often in these movies, their gums and their mouths recede and you can see their, their jaws and their teeth. Uh, often their eyes are sunken into their sockets. And so we need to understand the depth of what Paul is saying that we are. Because maybe as you look in the mirror that you have hanging in your bathroom, maybe you don't always like what you see but Paul is trying to show us a mirror that shows us the truth of not only our outward physical appearance, but our, our spiritual appearance to God outside of Christ. And this is what he says. He says we are dead in the trespasses of our sins. And to continue the term, he says not only are you dead, but you are literally the walking dead. For you are living a life. You're experiencing a type of life. You're experiencing a kind of life, but it's a pseudo-life. It's a fake life. It's a false life. It's a, it's, it's a life where you experience some things, but not to the fullest, not to the degree that God would wish that we would experience them. So we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. We are unliving, unfeeling, completely unable in our own, and yet we are still somehow, some way, up and walking around. It says not only that, but to try to say, well, I'm still a good person. Maybe you have friends, maybe you have family, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, you, okay, but what about all the good people I know? What about all the good people I know who, who aren't Christians, who are still good people? Well, this is what he says. He says, you're following, we are following, they are following after the course of this world. Which means that the things that they're doing that appear good to us are only good to us because they're good according to the world. And the world's standards of good are not the same standards that God has for the standards of good. He even goes so far as to say, as, as you're reading along with me, he says, we're following after the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, meaning that our original state with God is one of being dead, of disobedient, of depraved, and of being damned. He says here that we are Children of wrath. Meaning our only inheritance is eternal destruction, eternal punishment, 
hellfire, brimstone, that kind of sermon. But then if you look back here in, in chapter 1, if you look back, he just got done telling us about all these spiritual blessings we have in Christ. He just got done telling us about this predestination. He just got done talking about in verse 13, when you have heard the word of the gospel of salvation and believed in him. And so, apart from Christ, we were spiritually dead. My clicker isn't working. We'll just do it this way. We were dead and disobedient and depraved and we were doomed. And so that is you. That's me. And so as if we go to the doctor and we get our, our status and he hooks us up to all this stuff and the only thing he can come back with is, listen, not only are you not well, you're not even sick. You're a corpse. We are the walking dead in our practices, in our nature. And what Paul is going to tell us here is we are going to and we need a radical remedy. This is a remedy that science cannot give. It might be able to remove the head of a dead person and put it on the body of another dead person. It might be able to gussy up a pig, but if you put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. And so what Scripture is telling us here, as we look at this, he's telling us the depth of our depravity. Which, by the way, is not a popular thing to say. It's not a popular thing to hear. It's, it's not something we like to dwell on. But I hope that you understand the gravity of our condition before God outside of Christ because of the radicalness of the remedy and the necessity of receiving it. And if you think that somehow you're outside of this and this doesn't apply to you, he says that we're children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He tells us that every single thing that we do, that we all, we were living according to the passions of the flesh. We were carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And so it's not just that you're not doing things that are bad that you're thinking things are bad. That from the very fiber of our being, we are wicked, ugly, destitute before our God. Have I hammered that enough? And everyone's like, great sermon, Pastor. I was really looking forward to this today. But here's the thing. But God. Yeah, that's the spot for a big, fat amen. Because if you know about this text at all, you're going to see here, but God. Amen. That was us. That was us. That was us. We were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. We were, we were following after, as it says here, the prince of this air. We were sons and daughters of Satan, children of wrath and destruction. We were enemies of God, actively living in opposition to him. That is our lifestyle outside, but then it says right here again, here's your chance again, right? But God. Amen. 
And then Paul goes on to tell us this amazing, this is the gospel. This is what we ought to continue to remind ourselves with, not as a license to continue to live as a dead person, but rather as a reminder to us to know who we are now. Because the text is saying like that identity is now gone. He says, this is what God has done being rich in mercy. Not because we deserve it, but it says because of the great love which he has loved us. This love was his, divining, his, 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 his driving force here. But you cannot divorce, as Paul does not, you can't divorce these two things where God is both holy, righteous, just, and he is also merciful, loving, and gracious. You can't just say, hey, God loves you and have a perfect plan for your life without also saying, hey, you deserve hell and eternal punishment, and yet, but God loves you because he's rich in mercy, because of the love that drives him, because he is also these things. We have to take these in context with one another. And so because of his mercy to us, he says we now have a new position. Paul describes God earlier, and how does he describe God? God is sovereign over all things. Remember as it says here, he's predestined us for adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, he did these things. As a plan before the foundations of the world, he did these things. He prays that we would have the spirit of wisdom to have our eyes enlightened to this new position, this new place this new standing before God of who we are. He, he prays, remember just last week, he, or not, well, two weeks ago, he prays that our eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so we might see the riches of this inheritance. What are these riches? This is the rich mercy of his great love towards us. That's just one aspect of what Paul wants our eyes to be opened to. And again, we can't have our eyes opened unless we go to the ophthalmologist. We can't have proper glasses unless we're seeing through the right lenses. We have to have all these things together. God is also holy. And so therefore, he cannot have any sin in his presence. So that sin has to be dealt with. Remember, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so how are those going to be dealt with? And we were walking in those things. And also put a pin in that because at the end of this section, he's going to tell us how we're supposed to be walking now and how we walk now. And so yes, it's true to say that God is full of wrath when it comes to sin. But this is a very similar situation to what he's done in John eleven forty three when he said these things. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And so I want you to show you in the text, as, as Paul has here, in the text here, Paul has to make up words to describe God's grace in us and for us. He has to describe what these rich mercy is because of the love that he has. Us. He, he, he makes up words so that we can try to understand the depth of them. So he prays for our spiritual hearts to be enlightened and then he, he has to make these words so that we might have a context, a, a cup, to kind of put these ideas in and carry them with us. And here's where he starts. He, he, says, he says that he has, he has made us alive together with Christ. Another one that he says here is he he has, he has raised us up with him. And then the third word that he has here is he says, we have seated with him in the heavenly places. And again, if you think back, chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God of the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly places. He continues as this theme as he goes through this. And I want to show you these words that he has made up. And we could get into the Greek of that, and that's all good and, and, and fine, but it doesn't really matter for us. And, and, and so we're, we're going to move on to what these things mean. And if you have questions about that, you can let me know, and I'll be glad to let you buy me coffee. Maybe I'll fast from that. But, uh, and then we can talk more about these, these Greek words that he made up. But what he, what he means here is this. So we've made alive together with Christ. That's the first and the foremost, isn't it? Because before we were dead. I was thinking about this and praying about this last night, and I, and I just want to read to you a section of Scripture. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. These are old bones. Just yesterday, uh, we went to a breakfast cartoon thing at the Regent that they had here, and they were showing old cartoons from Warner Brothers, right? And one of those was, you know, Bugs Bunny and the uh, buzzard. And they were chasing him around, and he hit the ground, and of course, you know, all the bones kind of fall down by him or whatever. Those, these are dry desert bones that we're talking about here. And behold, there are very many over the, 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 the face of the valley. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, what, according to modern technology, they can? No. He answered, Oh Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, the Lord said to this man who's writing, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sin you upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and to cover you with skin, and to put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And so Ezekiel then says that he, he prophesied over these bones, and as he was doing that, this sound came probably the sound of the Holy Spirit, right? Of the, the rushing of waters. And it says that these bones began to rattle as they came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So we can do a really good job of trying to look alive, can't we? I think this is the danger of Christianity. You can say, look, I've got bones and sinew, and skin. Look at all these works. Look at all these works that I've got. And yet Ezekiel says, but there's no breath in them. There's still no life. And then God said to him, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, lust says the Lord God, come from the four winds and breathe in the breath on these slain and that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. And we indeed are cut off. And so I just want to ask you this morning, perhaps you feel like the first part of this sermon. 
Perhaps you feel like dry bones. Well, modern technology can put the head of a cadaver onto another cadaver and it still doesn't have life, but God can bring back dry bones disconnected from a desert, not only after, you know, a couple minutes like we can with shock paddles, not only after a couple days like he did with Lazarus, but after years. And so, brother or sister, you might have years of dry bone death in your life. But God. But God is rich in his love and his mercy. And it says, according to scripture, and so who are you to deny? He said, according to his word, but being rich in mercy, because he so loved you, even when you were dead, even when you were bones, even when you were dry, even when there was no flesh or sinew, and by the way, even when you may look good, and there is flesh and sinew and skin and yet still being dead in your own dry works he through Christ Jesus can make you alive with Christ amen and real life life to the fullest and not only that but then he raises us up with him and it says he seated us with him in the heavenly places and so think back to that that supper with Jesus and his disciples as they're sitting and they're eating and and John remember John the one who says in here who is always kind of braggy if you read that the disciple that Jesus loved but he understood this kind of love and so it's the same kind of love that we can all have from Christ and so it wasn't braggy it was theologically rich but this disciple that Jesus loved this is just like the same love he has for us he was sitting next to Jesus and John because he was sitting next to Jesus he got the privilege of asking Jesus he says which one is it that's actually going to betray you Jesus and and Jesus said it's the one who I'm going to give this morsel to and that is what Paul is praying for here I pray that the spirit of wisdom might give you uh, eyes of your hearts enlightened because of your closeness and your intimate relationship with Christ. And so not only do we get to live only eternally, but we have this kind of a relationship with Christ where we get to sit with Christ and have the intimate knowledge of God through this. This is your position now. Instead of dry bones, instead of just standing in a valley somewhere, we're going to stand with Christ. And he tells us of that guarantee. He tells us of that power as he says here in the text. He says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And that's eternity. And so it's not just life now, it's life for all of eternity, he says. So apart from Christ, we're spiritually dead. But with Christ, we are spiritually alive. Which means in Christ, with Christ, we can experience love. Not just you know, the love that we have for you know, a good pizza, but the love that we can only experience through God. We can experience life. Remember Jesus said, I came to give you life and that abundantly. Not just life here. Because here's, here's the, 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 the point of this. Before I was saved, I used to think that I was living the life. I had my own apartment. I had a big screen TV. I had a sweet truck. I had friends and girlfriends. I had money to spend and I spent it. I was young and healthy and by all accounts, the good life. And I didn't realize that I was trapped and that I was dead and the only thing that I was really producing was 
the stench of a walking dead, rotting corpse that was moving around. And just like those walking dead corpses, I would infect others with my sin as I would have interactions with them. Because my sin would affect them too. And so I would just continue to wallow in my own depravity and then spread that around with any other people that I would come in contact with. And what this scripture says is because of what God has done, He's raising us up, He shows us what real love is and what real life is. So maybe you don't know what real life is this morning. I want to beg you, you can. He's also lifted us up with him and then lavished this thing upon us. He's lavished these, these blessings upon us. He's lifted us so that when we experience these terrible things in our lives, when we get into car accidents or when we're diagnosed by the worldly doctors with things like cancer, when we come to the end of our life on our deathbed, as we just sang about, that we can know this lavished life, this lavished love that he has lifted us up to, that this world is not our home and it's not our end and we have so much more looking forward to. So that brings us to our final section of today's text, which is this. He tells us again, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing as a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Yet, yet, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is this idea of this predestination. He has predestined us to be saved, but not to just be saved so that we're comfortable, to be saved so that we might work for and to and through Him. Remember what I said before about that word walked? Before we were dead, and we were walking in our trespasses and our sins, and we were walking according to the flesh and according to the world, according to the sin of the, or the son of the principality of the power of the air, or however I put it there. Satan is, is what it is. We're walking according to Satan, loving darkness and hating light, calling evil good and good evil. And instead, we've been raised, and so now we ought to do the exact opposite. We ought to, in Christ Jesus, walk in these works that God has prepared before us. And so, here's what you ought to be doing, Christian. You ought to be producing good works. He's very clear here, right? Not works so that you may boast. It's not a result of that. Those works aren't what save you. But we're saved to those works. Those works are things like this, gathering together. Those works are also things that maybe we're not so comfortable doing, like Repenting to our children when we sin against them. Claiming the sin of our hearts to our spouse when it's not easy to do that because of our pride. Sharing the gospel with somebody who you know is not going to like you afterwards. Receiving somebody in love who your flesh, for whatever reason, recoils at, whether it's because of their gender identity or tattoos or socioeconomic or education or political party. In Christ we are God's workmanship for His glory. You see, in the beginning He created us in His image and His likeness so we would shine forth 
to all of his other creation of what God looks like. And we see the fullness of that image in Jesus Christ. And what we are called to be now is ever working towards that for his glory. And that kind of workmanship works in us, but also through us. And so we should, just like this song says, nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. Naked came to thee for, that, for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. So I want to ask you, are you wearing grave clothes or grace clothes this morning? Because if you want to see a resurrection, if you looked at that on Facebook, if you want to see a resurrection, you can see one. You can see one in two places. You can see one here in the text and just know it intellectually, or by God's grace, you can receive this text. And from here, you can go home and look in the mirror and see one physically. Because in Christ Jesus, he makes a new you. He has raised you from dead, worthless emptiness to a new life in Christ. And so I want to tell you about this grace. I want to define this grace to you. I made an acronym for it. Well, I didn't make it. I took this acronym, but it works, and I want to read it to you. And this is what it says. Firstly, it's the goodness of God, God's goodness to us in Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in his mercy because of his great love, to us because God is good. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with God's goodness for whatever reason. He is good to you and that's part of his grace. And the second part of this is his redemption. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He assists us. Things we can't do for ourselves, he does for us. Not a result of works so that no man may boast. We can't earn our way there. Instead, he has given it to us freely. And so he helps us not only in our salvation, but in our sanctification. Every process along the way. And we are created for him. For we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. And we will do that now, today, in this life, I hope and pray, but also for eternity with God, because that is where we are destined so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.7. So I'm going to end by asking this question. Do you know this grace? Have you been saved? Praise God, sister, but not everybody can say the same thing. And so here's my answer to you. If you don't know this grace, if you're not sure if you've been saved, here's a very easy thing to think about and remember. It is by grace you are saved through faith. What you must do is put your hope and trust in faith in Christ Jesus and in him alone for your salvation. Understanding that in your own, you are dead and damned and doomed and that by his grace, because of his love and nothing else, you can't earn it, so stop trying to repay it. Just accept it and believe it because he says it is true. And then you too can be resurrected. Not only right now, but in the future to come. Uh, Let's pray. God, our Father, we do thank you and praise you for the resurrection of the saints. We thank you that this resurrection of the saints that Paul is praying for and talking about and rejoicing in is something that happens not only in the future day, of course, then it will as well. But this resurrection of the saints is that something that happens daily for us when we die to selves and live to Christ. We thank you for that truth and that you allow that for us through your spirit. 
And so we pray with Paul that this life might take root in us, that we might receive this resurrection of the Spirit in our hearts, as Ezekiel said, and as Jeremiah said, that you might remove the heart of stone and place in us a heart of flesh. And by that then, we might give you the honor and the glory and the praise that you are due, because it is in your name we pray these things. Amen.